Today's episode of the Triple Threat Podcast is brought to you by Blue Chew. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great-great-grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise. And he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas. And you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. The Triple Threat Podcast being brought to you today and powered on the two-man power trip of wrestling podcasting empire. If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz on the two-man power trip, but on this show, and it sounds like he's watching something pretty damn interesting on the other side of this line, we are joined by the one and only, the man himself, the franchise. Shane, welcome into episode number 80, whatever the heck it is at this point. What's the matter, JP? The toilet wouldn't flush again? Shit. Shane? <laughs> <laughs> you know how he is. He's always mo- he's always moving and shaking, Shane. He's making deals and, uh, you know, uh, shaking hands on the side. You know how JP is. Shaking hands? I never heard that before. <laughs> He, no, I said shaking hands, not chicken hands. Oh, shaking hands. I was like, hey, chicken hands. I never heard that before. See what happens when you get to like uh, 96 years old, you, like your hearing goes. Oh, my gosh. So what, what's going on, Shane? How you been this week? It's been a crazy week for everybody, but uh, good to see you. Good to talk to you. What's uh, what's going on in Pittsburgh tonight? Good. <laughs> what's, it'd be a shorter list to go over what's not going on in Pittsburgh tonight. So it's just... The hamster wheel continues. <laughs> well, you were in the beautiful state of Virginia, my uh, my neck of the woods, over the weekend. You you, you took on the uh, the the young Colby Carino, uh, who may or may not have a uh, a better hairstyle than his father, Steve Carino. But you two battled over the weekend. How was it getting in there with VCW? They had a really nice house, from what I saw in the video, and of course. The franchise in typical fashion, uh, starting off as a fan-friendly uh, guy, and then he pulls the rug right out from underneath you. Well, uh, you know, it was nice to see a, a well-run show. You know, it was very reminiscent to me of, of an old-school show. Um, uh, I was able to watch, you know, the, uh, a handful of matches and was impressed with what I saw. Uh, you said they had a great house, uh, you know, 
and it ran on time. You know, really fast. You know, must like Frank Goodman's show the other the other week. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm impressed with what I'm seeing as, as these shows are running. And you know, to me, gauging it off the independent scene and seeing it come back uh, up, you know, weekend after weekend in these bigger houses. Uh, very reminiscent to me that the, uh, the, the the tide is rising again on wrestling. The fans are dying to see wrestling again. We see the uh, sense of urgency and excitement at AEW, and we're seeing the same thing now in the independents. So uh, I think it's good all around. Yeah, it's great. And not only that, you were at a hockey game on Friday night with uh, with Dominic. And uh, I don't know if you two donned the pads and started uh, cross-checking people. But uh, how was it taking in a nice hockey game on a Friday night? Well, I saw actually two hockey games. My sister and brother-in-law came in from Cleveland. We went to the Penguins game on uh, Sunday night. Uh, just a phenomenal uh, game, you know, watching them. The Bruins, uh, you know, I've got to tell you, they, you know, the, the Penguins completely outclassed and outplayed the Bruins. But somehow, at the end of the game, the Bruins made it tight. And it was really exciting just uh you know, just a good vibe. And I, it's been some time since I've been to a live hockey game. And I tell you, i got to hand it to the Penguins and to the Johnstown uh, uh, the Jayhawks team, how they uh, they made they made it a, a fun time from, from the start to finish. It wasn't just like you were watching a hockey game. Uh, both places, uh, both the Johnstown team and obviously the Pittsburgh Penguins made it. There was always something going on—a dance upon, you know, to put people up on the, the, you know, the big board. Uh, dan- you know, little kid dancing against an old guy. Uh, you know, the blimp flying around and dropping things. It, it really was uh, interesting to see how how much more of a fan-friendly game hockey has become since the last time I went to a live game uh, in both places. Dominic and I had a great time on Friday night. Uh, he had a ton of fans lined up. You know, that, that's always great for me to see just uh, how many fans still remember Dominic, uh, you know, having run this territory, uh, you know, to still see that many fans. Lined. He had, you know, uh, hundreds of fans lined up, and, and all of them had a story about Dominic when they were kids watching and, you know, the cars that he was on, et cetera. It was like, we had a hell of a lot of fun. So where do the uh, Penguins rank on your Pittsburgh sports scales? So obviously, you're, you're the huge Steelers fan you are. But where do, the, uh, where do the Penguins rank there with all the other Pittsburgh sports? Well, you, you, obviously, number one, you've got Bruno San Martino. Number two, you've got the Steelers. Number three, you've got uh, the Penguins. And somewhere down around seven, eight, nine, you've got the Pirates. <laughs> Every time they groom somebody, every time, and I mean, it, you know, the fans here are now getting disgusted because every time they get, like, right on the verge of making a run, they ship the top two or three or four players away and, you know, bring in kids and have to start grooming them. And, uh, you know, it's just, to me, it's very disingenuous. You know, I understand it's a small market, but small markets do occasionally rise up. And just a couple of years ago, the Pirates poised to make a run and they traded off you know three four or five players and you now we're back to the same place now you know if anybody from the pirates organization is listening get your heads out of your ass and get the pirates back to being good again and they traded their highly touted prospect uh last season at the trade deadline where they looked like they were on like the precipice of of making a run but they they went and they traded their top prospect for blake snell 
from the uh, the devil was it Blake Snell, John? Am I correct saying that from the Devil Rays? And uh, it was just a stupid move. It was a move that didn't need to be made. And now uh, they traded their top pitching prospect away. Totally, totally in tune with what the Pittsburgh Pirates do. And you know, you should hear you know, the Mark Madden radio show and you know just different calling shows and you know talking to people around town. People are getting really pissed. You know, it, it's you know they. The one thing about Pittsburgh being the city of champions, uh, you know, been known that since the seventies when the Steelers and the Pirates both were, were, you know, were doing great things, and then the Pirate or the Penguins came in right behind that, and you know, solidified that uh, that name for the city. And you know, it's been decades now since the Pirates have really been a serious threat. And like I said, over that last two decades, they've had. I don't know, four or five times, and they've been right on the verge of becoming a hell of a team. And then they, like last year, they trade some top prospect away and, you know, so, you know, some star away or several stars away and, and start over. And, you know, the, the, luckily for the Pirates organization, Pittsburgh is a, is a loyal city when it comes to its sports teams. But I'm not sure how much longer that loyalty is going to hold out for the Pirates. I mean, they keep, they've done this. And I'm a big baseball fan. You know, just, I just follow it esoterically. But they've done this so many times that you can hear the fans really starting to get pissed at it. And, you know, it's not necessarily a good thing when, you know, you already see in the baseball season, you know, in a small market like Pittsburgh when they're, you know, the, the start of the season and then that, that late uh, season lull, you know, where, you know, you can't fill up a, you know, 25, 28,000 seat venue, uh, it doesn't bode well for them, you know, in, in doing that. And you know, I would think that being a small market, it's imperative that they fill that stadium as much as they can, PNC Park. And you know, more often than not, you're seeing a half full venue, a third full venue, and that's just not good for a market like Pittsburgh. It was Chris Archer, not Blake Snell. I have my uh, Devil Ray uh, pitchers incorrect, so I just wanted to throw that out there, being the. Uh, astute baseball fan that I am and like to uh, tout myself as such. I wanted to make sure <laughs> that I got it right. Shane, when the Mets come to town, I got to get up there and we uh, we got to cut a rug and watch uh, a little Met baseball up there in uh, the Steel City. Go to a Pittsburgh Pirates game? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'd rather watch Bain Pride. Uh, if you can get Mark Madden out to a Pirates game, You'll be able to get the franchise out. If the uh, the Pirates are seven, eight, nine, I guess that makes Madden what thirty five, thirty six, thirty seven, something like that. Probably somewhere in that range. Yeah, <laughs> that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Shane, me and you love Mark Madden. We know that uh, Mark Madden does not love Chad. We know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> they're, 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 this is what I love. Like playing my podcast partners off each other. It's always good to have a little tension in the trio. <laughs> See, I'm too nice sometimes. I gotta, I gotta have the real me uh, come out. Then we'll. Uh, Mark Madden's comments uh, might have brought out the real me behind the scenes, but uh, I try to keep it nice and happy-go-lucky on the uh, on the show. But I got an inner franchise myself, there, Shane. I, I, everybody does. Everybody does. But see, the, the one thing that nobody understands about the franchise character is. He just never grew that mechanism like where you're supposed to like maybe not say something. <laughs> the franchise just goes in and says it. So it's uh, it's served me very well in my career. And there's been times maybe not so well, but uh, I'm one of the 
few people that stand behind everything that I've said, good or bad. I stand behind it all. So now I'm going to kind of uh, prepare for a future episode here. And this is going to be on your uh, homework sheet to prepare in the following weeks, maybe next week, maybe the week after. But uh, you got to watch this about 20 minute little documentary that the WWE just put together about the relaunch of ECW. And I want to throw this out to you because uh, it's something I did not know about until earlier this evening. I just, from watching about eh, 12 minutes of it, I, I want you to watch it, and we want to get your opinion of it on the show. I don't know if it's going to be next week or the week after, but uh, Shane, all I got to say is uh, it's leading into our topic for tonight, but if you're ready for a good laugh, I'm about to send you 20 minutes worth of comedy gold. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it is, because the whole thing was, it was a farce. Uh, you know, they, something that they could have done properly. Uh, you know, when I hear the genius name that, that people throw at Vince, uh, he may be a genius businessman because how he's been able to pull $5 billion in contracts out of that shitty show, astounding. Uh, he got he to run for like uh, King of England or something because uh, how he's pulling that off that charade is astounding to me. But, you know, I, I look at two things when he bought out WCW and could have had the first and only ever legitimate Super Bowl of wrestling. Uh, chose not to. Chose to just do it some other way, do it the Vince way. Uh, then with the relaunch of ECW, he already had Paul Heyman under contract. He already had a, a bunch of the key guys under contract. Could have legitimately relaunched that. Uh, and I would dare say do a little bit better than, than that travesty of a thing they called ECW. Uh, you know what I love is when fans come to the table and they'll say, uh, they'll start talking about ECW. And every so often you'll get a fan say, uh, you know, the original ECW, not the WWE ECW. Like they make sure they make the clarification between the two as, as if somehow the point was missed on all of us. Uh, just, uh, just a joke. So if, if that's genius, then my, uh, uh, my parakeet downstairs is Albert Einstein. <laughs> really, I'd love to meet him. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty talented of a parakeet. Hey, he's 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 pretty smart. He's at least that smart. <laughs> he got he got a book. He got a book that shit too. Yeah, that's why I really want you to watch it. I think this will be a fun uh, a fun listening for the uh, the listeners to hear your uh, your comments on it. But uh, you know. We'll save that for another day, but it leads into the topic that we put on the docket here tonight, and it stems from uh, a tweet that was out there a couple weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, where there was talk of the word genius, okay? Now, when I think of the word genius, I think of Lenny Poffo. <laughs> I, that's, who, that's who I think of when I hear genius. Love Lenny. Exactly. Love Lenny. He's not only the genius, but he's filled of glory and renowned, as he would uh, as he would say, he was uh, he was a, a colorful character, uh, the genius Lenny Poffo. But it was the talk of who's a genius, Paul Heyman or Vince McMahon. Now it stems from Dave Meltzer discrediting Vince McMahon as not being as much of a genius as Paul Heyman. And I think that it's great to kind of get your take in here, and I guess I mean to really define what they're meaning by genius. But where both of these guys kind of fall in that conversation? Well, to me, the two sides of a coin. You know, Vince, as I just said, 
genius when it comes to business. Hey, you know, anybody that's been watching that show, and I watched it last, last Monday, uh, not this past Monday, Monday of last week with my son and Dominic, and it was goddamn horrific. I mean, it was atrocious. And again, not placing any blame on the kids, just the writing was awful, the, the banter back and forth. Well, I, I can't say it any better than my 13-year-old said it. He said, Dad, he's chuckling. When I asked him what he's chuckling about, he said, Dad, I feel like I'm watching a middle school play. You know, and that pretty much summed it up. He wasn't being, you know, too, he wasn't being too much of a junior franchise. He was being right on the mark. Uh, you know, so again, like I said a second ago, that he's been able to sell $5 billion on contracts that, like I said before in this podcast, I think uh, Fox Sports is going to be a little, a little bit shocked that the returns are going to get on that because uh, I don't see the 3.5 rating. Uh, three and a half million people that they claim they're going to get on a week, uh, on a Friday night, on a weekly basis. Good luck with that. Um, you know, but he he is and has been phenomenal at all the things that Paul Heyman was not: balancing a checkbook, bringing money into the company. Um, but when it comes to writing, when it comes to creating characters, and I've said this often on this podcast and in other interviews. Uh, look at the last quarter century. Take a balance sheet. You know, draw a line down the middle of the paper and write down every major character that ECW created, hence Paul Heyman, and then write down all the characters that Vince Mann has created in the last 25 years. And even though ECW has got a business since 2000, uh, let's give Vince the benefit. Let's give him the extra time. So he's got 19 extra years uh, on ECW. Count it up. If it's not three to one, I'll kiss your ass. Uh, Paul was brilliant at creating characters. And I think part of that genius of his was that he didn't micromanage a la Vince McMahon. He didn't dictate a la Vince McMahon. He sure as hell would have never thrown a, a, a teleprompter in front of any of our faces. I mean, you go back and you look at those of us that were good at doing promos in ECW. I challenge you to say that, that those were not damn compelling promos. Uh, whether it was Raven, whether it was Taz, whether it was Paul, whether it was uh, Fonzie in his own way, whether it was uh, uh, Mikey in, in his own character. Uh, go back and look at those promos and tell me those promos didn't compel you to watch. Uh, and then compare and contrast that with the teleprompter generation. Um, you know, I know where my, where my brothers would lie, where my answers would lie. And the thing that stuck out at me last week when I was watching Raw was, you know, even though I'm 29 pushing 30 right now, I can still remember the, the eight, 10 year old kid in me and vividly. And I can tell you, assure you that if I were a 10, 12, 15 year old kid today, I would not be watching that. Would, that, that kind of crap wouldn't interest me then or now. Uh, what compelled me to watch was the realism of the characters uh, that I watched back then, um, the angles and the storylines. Uh, you, you know, and again, I, I'll point back. I always love whenever I see somebody talk out of their ass about Bruno. Oh, I watched the Bruno San Martino matchup with Mac Ray. Well, you know, everything is in context. You know, if, if you if if I just take a pixel of a picture and show it to you, so that's not a very impressive dot. <laughs> but if you see the whole picture, you find out it's the Mona Lisa, 
and you know anything about art, you know, for those who don't know what the Mona Lisa is, Google it. Um, you know, it's, it's awfully easy to say that, but when you go back and you watch the entire week by week, month by month buildup of the Larry Zabisco angle, uh, both Bruno and Larry uh, were phenomenal at playing those roles. There were so many up and down roller coasters on that that as fans, we actually got to the point where we thought we were being worked in the sense that we're never going to get this angle. It's just a tease. And to the point that you just figured it was never going to come, it's just a constant tease that when he finally hit Bruno with that chair, it was, you know, an OMFG, oh my fucking God moment. Like, holy shit, I can't believe you did it. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I, I just can't even recollect anytime I've seen anything that does that to me or has done that for me as a fan, as a mark of the business in the last, I don't know, 20, 25 years, there's just been very, very little uh, to sink your teeth into. You know, those things that Paul was so phenomenal at, at taking the fans on the ride, that they, you know, know, use the Gary Wolf throwdown with the halo. Um, We've all seen it. We all know what it looks like and what happened. Um, but when you go back and you watch it and you watch it in pieces and you see my reaction or quizzical reaction, I should say, because I can't gauge the crowd. I can't tell if they're selling, if they're pissed for real. I can't tell if it wasn't until they started pouring over the railing that I realized they bought it <laughs> and maybe a little bit too much. Um, but I would dare say there was nobody in the building that like one. What a great fucking sports entertainment angle. Uh, they bought a hook, line, and sinker. And when wrestling is done properly, that's the way it should be done. That's the, that's the reaction you should get. Um, maybe more difficult to get today because, you know, but I point the finger back to the quote unquote genius from Stanford, uh, you know, telling the fans for what? going on 30 years now or 35 years. Uh, it's fake, it's fake, it's fake, it's fake. Hey, don't forget it's fake. And by the way, it's fake. Hey, have I told you it's fake? Now buy this. Yeah, and they do, well, they do when it comes to the merchandising. And I think that that's where, the, like you've said, you know, the business side, that's where the genius lies in terms of the marketing. And he saw, you know, well, I could take this six foot eight, you know, giant man in red and yellow and turn him into uh, a household name and put him on, you know, action figures and lunch boxes and T-shirts and this and that. And every time ECW achieved one of those goals, it was huge because you guys were, you know, the little engine that could, that kept on trudging along. And when you got your action figure deal or you got the video game deal or you got the cable TV exposure, it was always something big. So I think they're both geniuses, like you said, in their own right. But what I find ironic is that, you know, one genius in Paul Heyman has been under the fingernails of Vince McMahon for the better part of almost 20 years. He's had him in creative roles. Now he's strictly just an on-air character. And as he's watching his television go down the literal shitter, you would think that maybe he would tap the other genius on the shoulder and say, well, let's bring brains together here. And you obviously did something right. And I do stuff right. Let's try to get this going. But is that where ego comes into play? Well, absolutely. And that, that would, to, to do that, to do it, I, I couldn't agree more. But to do that, you'd have to admit that in some way you're failing at something. 
uh, maybe feeling is a strong word. You're, you're not succeeding at something. And that's just not Vince McMahon's DNA. Uh, you know, look at the ratings. You know, and like I said, I, trust me, I know the ratings inside out as well as anybody knows them out there. So, you know, we could have this discussion for eight hours. I could run a college course on this. Uh, you know, when you see the audience has, has dipped uh, from the time that the three big companies uh, were in existence to where they are now. They've dipped somewhere in the 96 to 98 percent range. So, you know, now I can already hear the, the, the trollers saying, yeah, but ratings are down across the board. You're right. Is the NFL down 96, 98 percent? Is the NBA down 96, 98 percent? Are the sitcoms, whatever sitcoms are out there today, are they down 96 to 98 percent? I doubt it. They're down, but they're not down that kind of uh, so the fact that you've got somebody that's engineering this program and micromanaging it, like I always tell people, like, you know, occasionally Dominic will say, well, what do you think about, do you think, I said, look, as long as Vince McMahon is, I don't care, they can say XFL all they want and, and you know, whatever other things that Vince claims he's involved in, somebody doesn't fart on that show unless Vince approves it and okays it. And, uh, you know, so, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. You can't claim that you're a genius or your supporters claim that you're a genius and then try to explain away that massive ratings drop. Uh, last week when I was the Raw that I watched, uh, there were strong. It was the first thing that stood out was a, it was a smaller venue, not the huge arenas they typically run. Uh, and the second tier was completely blacked out. I don't know if it was all the way around, so I couldn't obviously see the camera side. Uh, my guess is if, it's, if it was blackened on camera uh, view, it was probably darkened and empty on the, you know, on the side where the cameras were. Um, you know, I remember a WWE, a WWF, WWE, whatever you want to call it, that when they had a TV taping, uh, when they had a pay-per-view, you know, it, it sold out instantly. You know, it was, it was like the must-have ticket. And, you know, I know whenever I did uh, the radio show from Pittsburgh, you know, I don't know, six, eight months, 10 months ago, whatever it was, uh, I was sitting on the balcony of the restaurant right across the street. I could have spit on the uh, PNC Park, the uh, PPG arena. I mean, I was literally that close to it. And I had been in the restaurant on that balcony looking over and could, had a panoramic view from the corner of the PPG arena. So I could see both entrances, the main entrance and the side entrance. And there was no throngs of people, nothing near what I saw at the Penguins game this past Sunday night. And, uh, you know, later, I didn't watch it, but later I had people telling me the building was 6,000 people. Uh, what they didn't know was how much of that was paid for, et cetera. You know, so again, you know, we can point to these numbers all night long and go to them and, and dissect them any way somebody wants to dissect them and somebody wants to defend this on this. We can dissect them any way they want to dissect them. But there's no way to paint those numbers pretty. And yet still in spite of that, he's been able to self to, to, to sign $5 billion in contracts. Um, I, I think that's in large part because of the... Uh, the across-the-board 
drop we've seen in ratings. Uh, again, not 96, 98%, but you know, there's been this decline across the board where as people uh, migrate to uh, devices, tablets, cell phones, I just heard that, just read something uh, last week that the Super Bowl was uh, something like 35% of millennials watch the Super Bowl on, on a tablet or their phone. You know, so, you know, you see those types of numbers. Uh, I want to see somebody come up with a cumulative way to decide adding all devices in with the TV ratings. And uh, I will assure you, it will not bring that up anywhere near to what the ratings used to be. And live sports in general, which Fox is considering WB as live sports in general isn't really down. I mean, it's up. You see, sometimes the NBA Finals is equal to you know sometime in the nineties. Right. Uh, the NFL this year is back up twenty five or twenty six percent. So some things are. are I mean, obviously it was down two years ago, but it is trending back up. So live sports, which WB is considered, shouldn't be down that much. No, I, I agree. And again, you know, the, the, st- the stuff that I had read, unless they've altered it. But when they signed that contract, however long ago it was, uh, Fox put out a statement that they were expecting to launch with three and a half million viewers and maintain three million viewers per week after that on a Friday night. Uh, Vince ain't doing that on Monday night. So if, you know, I, I don't know where, I'm sure they've got a lot of people working on that. I'm sure that wasn't a number that pulled out of thin air. But whoever's come up with those numbers, I would just say they're probably being a little tad bit optimistic. Hey, Shane, let's pause one second and remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. Hey, you don't have to be a doctor to know the benefits of Blue Chew, but for those of us who need to be enlightened, it's the first ever chewable, so you don't have to wait in that pesky doctor's office for a prescription. It's fast-acting, and you can also use it on a full stomach. It also comes with very discreet packaging so that Nebno's mailman doesn't get to know that you're going to be taking care of business with your significant other later on this evening. So right now, if you want to give Blue Chew a try, just go to bluechew.com and use promo code FRANCHISE. <laughs> That's FRANCHISE. You get your first shipment free, and all you've got to do is pay $5 for shipping and handling. Again, go to bluechew.com right now and use the promo code FRANCHISE. That's right. <laughs> FRANCHISE. Get your first shipment free and pay only $5 for shipping and handling. Again, bluechew.com. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and take advantage of our very special offer. I suggest you do this before, you know, the Chadster tries to buy out the entire stock. <laughs> Get to bluechew.com right now. Now, obviously, Dave Meltzer was saying that Vince isn't a genius for whatever reason, doesn't consider him a genius, even though he is a billionaire and made you know, whatever he is now, I think 3.2 or $4 billion that he's supposed to be worth now. And obviously he built an empire and all this else, but he does consider him a genius, but he did say Paul Heyman was a genius. Do you think that's a little bit off kilter? I think he's a little bit off on that. No, I mean, I, I agree with that. You know, again, Paul creative genius. Uh, I would let him, you know, if you have a $20 savings account, I wouldn't let Paul balance that. that, that <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it just is what it is. You know, we all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses. Uh, you know, Paul was brilliant uh, when it comes to what, what I see as being the, the, the one missing ingredient today, creativity. You know, the, the, whoever, this writing staff that the, the WWE has and, you know, all these, you know, these writers and you know, all the, the, we hear those terms all the time. 
the creative staff and the writers, you know, you hear those in almost every story that comes out about the WWE. Uh, and if they're making more than minimum wage, then they're vastly overpaid. Uh, because that show, again, last week was awful. And I know, you know, how Vince micromanages and, you know, makes demands. And I've, you know, heard the stories of tearing up, you know, a, a, you know, TV script, you know, 30 minutes before air, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But if your job is to be a writer, then excuses just don't cut it. You know, and none of our jobs can we go and say, ah, gee, trying to get my homework last night, the dog ate it. Um, you know, so coming up with lackluster TV, and, and again, now, you know, referring to Vince the genius, um, you know, and giving opposition to that. If he were a genius, would he not be firing these writers that are coming up with this ilk and finding somebody that could write better, come up with better, do better? Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm not seeing any kind of shakeup based on the way you see this company being run. You would think that everything is just hunkadori. Uh, let's keep her going. Let's keep it Titanic. Uh, don't worry about the little like, ice cube up ahead. You know, we'll just don't pay any attention to that. We're just going to keep full steam ahead. Um, you know, so I would dare say that a real genius would identify that, um, a real genius wouldn't necessitate pulling back all the stars of yesteryear at WrestleMania time to sell it. Uh, Hulk Hogan's generation didn't need the stars of yesteryear to sell it. Uh, uh, Bret Hart's generation didn't need the stars of yesteryear to sell their WrestleManias. Uh, and again, I want to reiterate that I always do. I'm not p placing the blame on the kids there. The kids there are doing what they're being told to do. But you have to ask yourself about the genius at the top that's making these calls. You know, if you haven't gotten your kids over enough to draw without the stars of yesteryear, then is that the kids' fault that are going out and reading the teleprompter and doing everything you're telling them to do? Or is it the guy making the decisions as to what is said on the teleprompter and what moves are being done in the ring? Um... You know, as much as I'd love to be 20 again, it's 29s. My knees are starting to bother me now. I'm pushing 30. But uh, I'm thankful to God I'm not 20 years old right now trying to break into this business because I wouldn't have a clue how to. Like I said, dude, if I were 20 years old today, I wouldn't be watching this. And I certainly wouldn't be trying to emulate it. Um, you know, that just my two cents for it. I, I couldn't agree with Dave Meltzer more. Uh, you know, Paul proved for seven years against all the odds. You know, I, I, I make a couple points here. When the f very first uh, Eastern Championship Wrestling show that Terry Funk and I went to, we were on the same show, uh, same first show for each of us. And we got picked up at the airport. He asked me, in the back of the Comfort Inn van going to the hotel, he asked me how long we ride this train uh, before it runs off the tracks. And as we kicked it back and forth laughing in the van, you know, we thought two, maybe three shows, and then it would be, up, you know, belly up. And, you know, so seven years later, when the company had literally transformed the industry, now let's go back and dissect those seven years. And I've mentioned this often. We did it without a Panda Energy behind us, without a Time Warner behind us. 
we did it with an ECW arena show every three, three and a half weeks and an incredibly rabid fan base. Now those fans weren't that rabid just because they were playing a role. Uh, and our show was okay, but they came to support it because it was the hometown thing. That, that's not the case. Cause I've heard, you know, some people in different blogs and stuff make that kind of comment. Uh, those fans came back every three, three and a half weeks because they knew they were going to get a goddamn incredible show. And there were a few times we didn't live up to that. But in the vast majority of times, we did. Uh, you know, I don't, wouldn't even dare to venture a guess as to what the percentages are. But far more than half the time, we, we hit the, the ball out of the park. And those fans left as excited as they were when they walked in. And, and those shows were marathon shows. You know, back whenever I was world champion there, I, I'm sure there were probably times, but I don't recall many times that I went to the ring before midnight. And uh, it wasn't like the fans were getting tired or run down or looking at their watches when they could leave. They were eating up every piece of the last segment as much as they were the first segment. That's a testament to Paul Heyman. And it's a testament to the dressing room that he had. He had a, an incredibly talented dressing room that uh, I'm, I'm on record as saying that of all the dressing rooms that I've been in, I've been involved in some damn talented dressing rooms. Uh, if I had one to choose, if I could wave a magic wand today and take everybody in their prime from all those dressing rooms, the ECW dressing room would be the dressing room I'd want to have. Um, were there more pure, talented wrestlers in other places? Probably. Uh, but there was no dressing room I was ever in that I saw uh, everybody work as hard as I did on a night-to-night, show-to-show basis as I did ECW. And, you know, it's uh, there's something to be said for that. You know, how many times I heard some version of this following phrase in other promotions, hey, the building's only half full, let's take it easy tonight. And my thought always was, well, if it's half full, we take it easy. It might only be a quarter full next time. Let's go out and try to tear the house down tonight and maybe get, get the house up to full next time. Uh, I never heard or saw that sentiment in ECW. Um, maybe that was the, the greenness of the dressing room. Maybe it was uh, uh, the inexperience of that dressing room. But I never saw anybody lazy. And ECW, everybody worked their ass off. And I also never saw the politicking in the ECW dressing room where somebody would, you know, you go out before me and have a hell of a mask, and that means I got to work harder. I never saw anybody complain about that like I did multiple times in other promotions. Uh, thanks a lot, JP. Now I'm going to go out and work my ass off because we had a great match. That never, ever was an issue in ECW, as it was in almost every other promotion I'd ever been in. Uh, you know, it was it was almost like a uh, the gauntlet was thrown down. Okay, good job, JP. I'm going to go out and top it. Um, and it wasn't in, in like a fuck you type of way. It was in that, you know, we're all in the same boat, right? We're all should be pushing in the same direction or pulling in the same direction. And in almost every promotion I've ever been in, I saw the exact opposite. Uh, this guy was trying to undermine that guy. This wrestler was trying to undermine that wrestler. This person was trying to stab somebody in the back or whatever. There was always some level of politicking going on. 
uh, and that's not a judgmental statement. It's that's what the industry had created. And that's why I said, I, you know, in ECW, whether it was inexperienced, the greenness, whatever it was. Uh, but I know that there was an excitement in the dressing room in ECW. It was the one place that I worked uh, that I genuinely looked forward to going. Uh, you know, you'd be on a Tuesday and think, oh, I have three more days until I can be back with my boys. Um, it was a hell of a lot of fun. And I did that again as a testament back to Paul Hammond's genius. You know, he took... Uh, in my case, a middle of the car white meat baby face, which is what I was considered prior to ECW. Uh, at a time when heels didn't have blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, he took uh, a raven and you know, took it from being Scotty the Body to being Raven. Uh, took the Tasmaniac to being Taz. Now, that was not all Paul Heyman. You know, Pete Sinertz had a bit to do with that. Uh, uh, Scott Levy had something to do with that. Troy Martin had something to do with that. Uh, but, you know, give Paul the credit that he knew where to micromanage and he knew where to stay the hell out of the way. But for all of those wrestlers, he always came up with great storylines that those wrestlers almost universally made better than even what Paul had come up with. So I want to get back to Heyman's genius in a second. But, you know, you mentioned Pittsburgh. You mentioned Monday Night Raw. Where were your seats exactly? What section were you in? What, Monday Night Raw? Yeah, where were you sitting? Did, did you oh, have no, good no, seats? I, no, I, no I, I, I watched Monday Night Raw. I sure as Brother, you, you, <laughs> you, you got a better chance of seeing God twice tonight and Satan three times before you'd see me at a WWE show. You were acting almost like you were there. You were, you know, you were, you, you were yeah. pissed. I was, I was close enough watching on that TV to know I sure as hell won't be watching again for some time. But if, if no. everybody keeps their eyes open, I will I'm put a little Easter egg out there. If everybody keeps their eyes open, the franchise will be at WrestleMania in some respect. Now, back to Heyman's genius, obviously joking about one in a row, but back to Heyman's genius for a second. Creative genius, yes. Business-wise, no. But do you think that maybe he could have or should have gotten some sort of backer? I know we always say, you know, Panda Energy or, or um, AEW has the cons. Do you think he should have kind of sought out somebody that could have been a backer not somebody that didn't know anything but you know somebody that knew knew something necessarily about the business knew what they were getting into and, and getting more of a financial backing just so ecw was kind of safer financially absolutely <clears throat> you know the, the person i know he did bring in steve carroll was not the answer you know uh but, you know he was from the from the time steve carroll came on board uh the death watch we now know in hindsight was, was started uh, for ECW because his guaranteed return on his money, he was fronting the money for the pay-per-views and his guaranteed return exceeded uh, what the company could ever be expected to make on a pay-per-view. So with each passing pay-per-view, ECW would, took one step closer to the grave. Uh, so yeah, and I find it implausible to believe that uh, with as hot as ECW was, 
that there wasn't some entity out there that wouldn't have been interested in, in getting involved with ECW. Um, you know, even though you know WCW and WWF at the time were uh, up and down, uh, it wasn't like you know we were so far out of the ballpark, you know that that it would have been implausible for um, you know a network or some entity to get involved, some corporation. I mean, for God's sake, how many times have we seen now, uh, you know, with TNA? Jeff Jarrett comes up with Panned Energy, who dumps almost half a billion dollars in. Uh, you know, I, 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 I shudder to think, like, if somebody had given Paul Heyman half a billion dollars to grow ECW, what he would have done with that. Um, there's no doubt in my mind he would have competed on a national level uh, with both WCW and WWF and quite likely would have put one or both of them out of business. Uh, you know, half a billion dollars is an astounding amount of money. And now we see, you know, AEW, you know, with Tony Khan getting involved. So clearly there are people out there that know wrestling, understand wrestling, love wrestling, and see the benefit of being invested in wrestling. Uh, and I'm sure the same was as true back then as it is today, if not more so. So, you know, if he was looking for somebody, I don't think he was looking hard enough because again, I think that, you know, clearly somebody would have wanted to get involved in that. And, and then ultimately having signed with TNN and we, we, we know now in hindsight, you know, what, you know, what a joke that was, what, you know, what a, uh, uh, you know, Trojan horse that was, uh, I, I'd just be very hard pressed to believe that there wouldn't be somebody out there with, pocket deep enough to grow ECW on every level that we would have had to to compete at a national level because hands down, product to product, our, our show was every bit as good, if not much better, than the big two companies at that time. Now, I know ECW, obviously, you know, in the end, because bankrupt did make it this and that. We're talking about Heyman's creative genius. And I know we've talked about this before, and you weren't there towards the end. But, you know, there is those stories from Dreamer and obviously from C.W. Anderson, who's talking about it on our show. And then with you, when we had him on this show, about how Heyman kind of wasn't there at the end and this and that. Do you think that Heyman gave up on ECW? Do you think that Vince was recruiting him? Like, what do you think was kind of, you know, you say writing on the wall and the business and this and that. Do you think that he kind of just gave up? on ECW towards the end, or was there something else to play, or something else at play? No, Paul. Paul's not a give-up type of guy. Um, I think that you know, if he would have done something like that, it would have been because he, he saw the writing on the wall, you know, that there was, there was inevitable. Uh, but I know that when I was off with the elbow injury, which was, I don't know, six, seven months before I left, Joey Styles and I were in the uh, studio waiting to do our own cameras. And the phone rang, and Paul reached over and hit the uh, speaker, said Paul Heyman. And I heard Vincent Mann's voice say, Paul, and Paul about broke his back trying to get, you know, leaning back in that chair to try to get up and pick that phone up before, you know, we could hear anything else. And grabbed the phone off the, you know, the wireless off and, you know, took it out and stayed out for a long time 45 minutes, maybe an hour. 
guess, thinking like somehow maybe we might forget what we just heard. And, you know, A, Vince has a pretty distinctive voice. And if you've ever worked for him, like I have, uh, you know, easily forget about that voice <laughs> or, or misconstrue whose voice that was. Uh, so, you know, when he came back in, I asked him, you know, what the fuck was he doing calling our studio? And, you know, he gave me some bullshit story about he, he wanted some uh, advice on an angle or something. And I, come on, you know, <laughs> Vince doesn't take advice from anybody. So I knew at that point, I didn't know exactly what it was. Now, in hindsight, looking back, I do know uh, that you know, he had given Paul money and vicariously was invested in ECW to some degree. Uh, you know, without his money, the, you know, the, the company wouldn't have been able to go on at certain points. And so you have to ask yourself, and if you ask Paul directly, you're, you're never in 10 lifetimes going to get a straight answer. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll remind you what his mother told me. If my son's lips are moving, he's telling you a lie. We're never going to get that true story. But I know Vince McMahon, and I know that Vince McMahon would not have put a dollar into ECW to help ECW. It was to get his tendrils into ECW. And I told Paul Heyman that night, I said, I don't know what he's going to call him here, but I will tell you sure as hell, at some point down the road, you're going to recall what I'm about to say to you. When it's all said and done, he will sure as fuck stab you in the back. And, uh, you know, it's you know, pretty much what happened. So, you know, it's, I, 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 one thing I don't understand, and, you know, again, you'll, if you had Vince and Paul on this phone call, you'd never get a straight answer, is, if, you know, why the relaunching of that other ECW they launched later with a product that was so not ECW? Uh, you know, it didn't take a brain surgeon to understand our fans and their rabid association with the ECW. It wasn't because... Uh, you know, we had the greatest pyro or laser beams or 26 camera shoots or whatever because the product in the ring was superior to everything else in the business at the time. And, you know, so to bring back ECW redux or do or whatever you want to call it, and it'd be so not ECW, uh, you know, it, it was doomed to fail. And why he would did it beyond me. Uh, you know, I'd heard rumors at the time, and again, Vince and I don't exactly call each other on a weekly basis to exchange ideas. Uh, <laughs> Recipes? I, I heard at the time, yeah, I, I got some good ones for him. Uh, I got a great one for, for a great ship burger. Uh, in fact, I'll make him one sometime if you like it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'd heard at the time that the reason that he did that was he was getting tired of the fans chanting ECW at uh, WWE events. And that, you know, if you know anything about TV production, one of the most difficult things to sanitize is sound. Uh, you know, so if you hear the fans chanting ECW, ECW, and the visual if you're watching at home, and you see the fans beating their hands three times in the air as they chant it. And then... As you're watching, you see those hands beating three times in the year. Hooray, <sighs> great, or boo. You know, it doesn't go. Your brain's telling you something's not adding up here. And so you know that the sound has been poorly sanitized. Uh, so I'd heard at the time that Vince wanted to 
get the fans to stop. Now, if he'd gone out and said, anybody chance the ECW, you're going to get thrown out. The ECW fans would have chanted it all the more. Just to fuck with them. So th- that, that was not an option. The, uh, it was also not an option to continue on trying to sanitize the sound out and drown out the ECW chants because it doesn't, doesn't work well. Uh, anybody that's involved in sound uh, tech uh, will tell you that. So I'd heard at the time that Vince wanted to stop those chants, and his idea to do it was to put out a new ECW that was so anti-ECW that the fans would not want to ever chant it again. And, you know, it worked while that program was on the air. I think, if anything, in the long run, it, it helped grow the legend of ECW. You know, it was that mythical company, that mythical promotion that you might not have ever got a chance to go to, but you've heard people talking about forever. Um, and I think Vince helped propel that by his lame attempt at trying to squash it. Shane, there is no W, you know, with the fans, it's ECW, come on, ECW, ECW. <laughs> now, with um, that uh, documentary that Chad was talking about before that's on the WWE Network, very interesting. You basically hit kind of what they were doing or what they were trying to do. Shane McMahon was really interested in bringing it back as a feeder league, but he wanted it strictly because, you know, at that point in time, he was running the, the Internet and all the new media and that's really when you saw like the DVDs were booming and the streaming was was starting to get um, off the ground. The uh, uh, the website was really kicking ass. So obviously, with the image always talks about, was really everything new media with WWE at that point was kicking ass. And Shane was trying to put ECW on there and make it the kind of the original and have you know the, the little bit of uh, edginess, if you will, because he knew if Vince got his hands on it, Vince put it on TV, he would basically kill it so i can't wait till you watch that and kind of see what shane mcmahon i guess was kind of feeling ec dub if you will <laughs> well i i it's been a long time since i've even seen or spoke to shane i mean he was a young kid uh when i was there uh but i'd heard similar versions of stories about his affinity for ecw but can't confirm with them or deny them. I, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm hearing them secondhand like everybody else has heard them. So I'd, I'd be very interested to see, uh, you know, what the documentary says. Does he comment on it? Yes. Okay, I'd be very interested to hear, hear his comments then because, you know, it, it's the one thing I'm certain of is that anything else than what Vince did would have been better than what Vince did. Um, and again, you, you look back, and I, I don't know off the top of my head, but there were a strong number of the ECW, the Dudley Boys, uh, 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 Taz, uh, I believe Raven was there, um, Paul was there, uh, Tommy Dreamer. Uh, there were you know, a strong contingency of the ECW guys already there. And you know what I always thought would have been brilliant from Paul or from Vince, if he were a real genius, would have been to put the story out that Paul had gotten an investor together and was able to buy the, the name back and relaunch it seemingly as an independent company away from WC from WWE. Uh, that kind of uh, individualism, that kind of independence from the WWE is what the fans I think would have wanted uh, and, and to get behind it and believe it the same way that they had previously. And then to see them launch it, 
and you know you see uh, you know the big show and John Cena and these guys you know some of the guys that were very identified with the WWE sports entertainment wrestling product and putting them in there you know that that I can tell you from ECW fans that was not going to fly nothing against any of those guys but it wasn't going to fly because they were so especially in those two cases so identified with being WWE talent and stars that to suddenly bring them into ECW and try to get the ECW fans to believe that somehow another they're extreme uh, you know again you got a better chance of seeing God twice tonight the best thing to me about this documentary, I always laugh anytime that WB does anything ECW related. And you know that we love Sandman, both professionally and personally on the show. We work with him a couple times. And you know we both love Dreamer, uh, both me, me and Chad. I know you like them, obviously, both too, but <laughs> we've yeah. both worked with, with Dreamer, both personally and professionally, a few times. So we really like them both. But no offense to them. And after, you, after we make you watch this, it's, you're going to be, you know, you're going to laugh because they acting as if Dreamer and Sandman were e- quote-unquote ECW. Like, they're the only guys that represent ECW on this documentary besides Heyman. I just laugh at that because it's like uh, Shane pretty much invented ECW, basically. <laughs> and, and he created ECW. He was the face of ECW. He was the best champion in ECW. He was the best heel in ECW. Oh, no, no, but uh, Dream- Dreamer and Sandman, yeah, they'll, they'll cover, they'll be suffice with actually being the face of ECW. I always laugh at that. I'm like, well, what the fuck is Shane? Like, what what's going on? <laughs> well, uh, you know that that again shows you like the you know the uh, the lack of professionalism and Vince. You know, if you're going to do a, a documentary about the 1970s Steelers, you cannot not talk about Terry Bradshaw or Franco Harris or Lynn Swan or John Stallworth or you know, all the litany of you know Ham and Lambert and all the rest of the guys, right? Andy Russell. Um, and, and you, you can do it, but if you do it, some some big number of Pittsburgh Steelers fans are going to say, what the fuck, where's Terry Bradshaw? Um, you know, it, it just shows you like the, I, you know, I don't know, the immaturity, I, I, I guess you'd call it, or, uh, you know, again, you know, everybody knows I don't like Vince, but Vince doesn't like me. You know, that's no earth-shattering, that's, no, that's not breaking big news here. Um, but, Again, when you're talking about an entity like ECW, look, Sandman and, and, and uh, Tommy were major pillars of ECW and big portions of what uh, was the success of ECW. Uh, that's not a first shattering statement. It's the truth. Uh, but so was Terry Funk. So was Sabu. So was Taz. Uh, so was Mikey Whipwreck. So, I mean, Francine, Beulah, Bam Bam, uh, Candido, uh, the Gangsters, uh, uh, you know, Cronus and, and Saturn. I mean, the Dudleys. There were so many uh, talented again, that dressing room was just incredible to be a part of. So to try to put, you know, do a talk about ECW and somehow say, okay, this one and this one, they were the real reason it worked. Um all those guys were huge portions, and, and women were huge portions of the YECW work. I've often said, and I, I think anybody's ever listened to me talk knows, uh, ECW was a true conglomeration. Uh, it was the first time that I'd ever seen in wrestling that it wasn't just the champion the fans are coming to see. It wasn't just uh, this star or 
that scar the fans were coming to see. They were coming to see ECW. And, you know, that I'd heard at the time, and I now believe it, that Kevin Sullivan used to always say that Vince McMahon had always wanted to make the WWE the star so that he didn't have to worry about, you know, some star taking the cleaners or getting them over the barrel, right? Uh, and that it seemingly looks like he succeeded at that, uh, depending on what your definition of more succeed is. Because, you know, when Hogan was on top, you could put Hogan in the ring with a broomstick and it was going to sell out. Not because it was a great match, but because it was Hulk Hogan. Uh, same thing with Flair and NWA, WCW. Uh, you know, there were so many stars that had risen up and been big draws in the territories they were in. Uh, but there's been only a handful that have been the singular talent. Um, you know, Hogan and Flair being two that I can think of on the top of my head. Um, you know, there, there aren't, it's, it's not a big fraternity uh, people could do that with. And ECW was no different. ECW was truly a conglomeration. The fans were there to see the team, not to see me or Tommy or Sandman or Taz. It was to see all of us. And that's what made ECW work, was that, you know, if, you know, Shane Douglas ain't on the show tonight, uh, well, we're still going to get the rest of the team. If Taz ain't on, we're still going to get the rest of the team. Uh, so I, I'll be really curious to see it. But, you know, again, there's, you, know, you talk about spitting in the wind, you know, or tugging on Superman's cape. When you're telling the ECW fans what they know isn't really right, uh, what they believe isn't really right, now let me, Vince Man, tell you what's right. <laughs> I can't think of a bigger fuck you to ECW fans than that. It's just, it's stupid and foolhardy on his part. So how do you think they tricked Sandman into answering the phone? (laughs) (laughs) Probably said it was uh, Tommy calling or something. I I don't know. uh, But, you know, kudos to the guy. I'll tell you a real quick story here. Uh, And, you know, once I get clarification from this person, I'll reveal the name behind it. But until I get clarification, I don't want to. I wouldn't be right for me to do that, but I was talking to somebody recently that told me that the WWE had contacted them uh, to be interviewed for some book they were doing, that they're doing, or doing, are doing, will be doing, I I don't know when the tense is, Uh, and uh, they, you know, had an initial discussion where it was agreed upon. Uh, that, you know, and then they said they would call back. And it, it was some period of time before they called back. And when they called back, this person asked them, you know, what was the payoff going to be? And he said, oh, we don't pay you. <laughs> it's, just, it's just you do it for us for gratis. <laughs> and I thought to myself, like, I must be like in some, you know, some alternate universe or something because... You know, we all do this to pay our bills. This is this is our living, our livelihood. It's how we feed our children. It's how we pay our electric bill. It's how we, you know, how we live. And so to sit there and say, hey, I'm going to call you up and interview you for however long I want to interview you, uh, 30 seconds or 30 hours, whatever it's going to be. And you're going to be just so happy to do it for me for free. I don't want to make a shitload of money on this. Uh, 
because I'm such a swell guy. It's, it's mind-boggling. And I don't, it, 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 there's a part of it when I hear that story that really pisses me off. But then there's another part of it that makes me chuckle and laugh and, and, and be embarrassed for Vince that you've got all that money in the bank and you are such a goddamn cheapskate that you won't pay people that you're interviewing to sell these books and, and DVDs or whatever other products and you won't throw them or even discuss a payment, let alone the amount of the payment. It's, uh, you know, it's like the guy you go to dinner with all the time and when the check comes, he's always going to the bathroom or, uh, you know, he's got the Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. You know, can't quite reach them. Ben, worth billions and billions of dollars, but fuck you, I ain't getting that check. Sounds like Chad. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that too. So, <laughs> I don't, I don't know which is the better emotion, uh, 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 anger, or laughing my fucking ass off. Because it sure there is sure as hell a humorous uh, uh, meme and narrative to the fact that Vince McMahon is so goddamn cheap. <laughs> it really is humorous. My, uh, my my dad calls it alligator arms, Shane. That's what he said. I, I have alligator arms. I, I call them the T-Rex arms. The same thing. You, you get the point. It's uh, That check could be sitting six, six inches in front of them, and they can't quite reach it. <laughs> that's great. Well, one of the things I could... Yeah, exactly. One of the things... That's, is that your parakeet again, saying that? <laughs> yeah. yeah not, not, that's not Shane Douglas. I think a lot of the reasons that they would say something like that where they're not paying is because that there's nine times out of ten you're going to find guys who will just do it to talk and get their name out there. But I think that's very old yeah. school that you guys know it's the business. It's called the business for a reason because the business is to make money. And obviously, you know, when it comes to something like that, a project that they're due to make money off of. Well, they need to, uh, you know, pay their proper uh, due diligence to the, the, the subject that they're speaking with. But I think a lot of guys in that newer crop, they're not used to that. They're just happy to be there. They'll talk to, uh, you know, whatever project it is that they're putting in front of them. Well, I mean, again, maybe they'll learn in time. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not sitting here suggesting that, you know, if you're going to be interviewed for a book, that you should be getting, you know, $10 million check depending on what the book is, I guess, but, uh, you know, but to sit there and uh, I would be embarrassed to call you two guys are my friends. I, I'd be embarrassed to call either one of you and say, I'm writing a book and I'd like you to, you know, do a chapter for me and, you know, don't ask for anything. I'm not going to give you anything for it. Just, you know, write up and fill up, help me fill out this book, you know. Uh, it's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed not for myself. For him, like when I hear people telling me stories like this and uh you know you hear you can hear the retort right well that's how he's gotten so rich yeah but again i refer back to the, to the when the check comes you know if you're conveniently at the men's room every time the check comes if if your arm's always a little bit too short if you're always a little bit slower than the other guy paying that check at some point someone's gonna say hey you goddamn cheapskate you, you want to pick this one up tonight um you know, to me, that's what a man does. Uh, you, you, know, you pitch in your fair share. Uh, 
But that this guy seems to think that somehow we we're all betrothed to him, and that he's the only one that's allowed to make money off of all the hard work and broken bones and injuries that we've had. Uh, you know, th- and this has not been any mean, of, you know, like a, a whining. Uh, I wanted to be a wrestler, and I am so thrilled that I had the opportunity to be the wrestler that I became. Uh, but you put an awful lot into this business, a lot of skin. You know, I, I often tell people, professional wrestlers rarely get a chance to see their kids' first words, first steps, first day of school, first birthdays. Um, you know, Steve Williams, Dr. Death, I didn't make it to his father's funeral because he had to defend the belt that night. You know, again, nobody's complaining about that. But when you then turn around and say, yeah, well, you, but you should be just so damned eager to to give me some more of your work for free so I can make money. It's astounding. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just jaw-dropped that anybody would do it. Uh, you know, and again, embarrassed for Vince that he's such a goddamn cheapskate that he wouldn't recognize the fact that some of us understand he's a goddamn cheapskate. If I was worth four or five billion dollars, I'd be embarrassed for anybody that ever picked that check up. Not him. He's more than happy to let you get it every time. <laughs> I'd love to go to dinner with the man and see uh, the battle of wills that would then uh, transpire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you know, go to the bathroom and take takes forever while that check comes and watch him. Well, yeah, the, the bass would probably have a stroke. <laughs> he had to he had to pull that gold card out. He'd probably have a stroke, you know, having to pay that bill. And he, he'd get it back from you somehow. He'd, he'd make damn sure he. He screwed you somehow to get it back. Uh, uh, incredible. Uh, you know, empathetic. You know, we're, we're joking about it. I'm joking about it. But really pathetic. You know, that, that a guy does this. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked to stories about Ivan and the things that he did to guys like that. Uh, and so many other guys. You know, we could tell that same story with a little change here, a little tweak there. You know, but basically the same basic uh meme to the story and you know you know why you know why so you can make a an extra ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars and screw that guy out of being able to pay his electric bill i i just don't understand the, the reasoning to it and uh how it, the fact that he's not embarrassed when he looks in the mirror over doing stuff like that tells you that he's either a sociopath uh, or just an asshole, maybe both. <laughs> well, you would know better than us, so we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. But, hey, listen, this was an awesome episode, okay? We knew that that topic would be great. Didn't know it was going to be that great. So look forward to when Shane reviews this ECW Untold, uh, something that we're going to give him some homework. So he's gonna, we're going to have to bear with him on his schedule. He's a very busy man. But I think it's going to be uh, just in line with this one. Another great, awesome episode. And uh, flew by, Shane. I mean, look at this. Hour and ten minutes in. This absolutely flew by this week. And give me a second to get through the plugs. We're really pushing the mark out at the Meadowlands Convention on April 7th, the morning of WrestleMania, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It's a huge convention. I mean, literally growing by the minute. We've got people reaching out to us who are going to be attending now that we're kind of working out the uh, the final details of it. But 
head over to matmcon.com and check out the guest list that is going to be in attendance that day. Shane will be there with Jerry Lynn, and there's a whole host of others. Jim Ross, Stan Hansen, Tito Santana, Tully Blanchard, Butch Reed, Danny Spivey, just to name a few. There's so many people on this card, and it just keeps getting bigger, and we're literally about a month away. So head on over to matmcon.com for more information. And then the following month, May 18th, down in Richmond, Virginia, it's TMPT Con 3, the 35th anniversary of the Midnight Express and Jim Cornette. Shane will also be down at the TMPT Con festivities with Francine. And we have so much more to talk about with that in the coming weeks. So just head over to TMPTofWrestling.com for that information, as well as the Triple Threat podcast page where you've got the podcast links, the YouTube videos, as well as the uh, the little portal that will take you over to Pro Wrestling Tees. Dot com to pick up your official franchise Shane Douglas t-shirts. And as always, if you want to get in touch with the show, hit us up on Twitter at the franchise SD, at Two Man Power Trip, at Wrestling Pal, and at the Three Threat Pod. That's a lot of plugs, Shane. So where are you going to be this weekend? Because I got to go uh, take a breath. Well, first, I just want to reiterate something you said about uh, uh, pro wrestling tees. You know, with all these conventions coming up, WrestleCon and you know, the uh, conventions uh, that morning and then next month and then the month after that, actually, uh, at Icons, you know, going to be all these conventions. Uh, you know, if you want to get a T-shirt, but it becomes really difficult. I, I carry a few with me, but, you know, it's such a pain in the ass to carry them. If you want to get something like that signed, go to Pro Wrestling Tees right now, get your T-shirt, your size, favorite color, uh, and bring it with you and we'll get it signed there. Uh, at the uh, conventions, one of the many conventions we're going to be at. So uh, I would urge you to do that now to make sure you have time to get it in time for all those conventions starting. Uh, but this uh, weekend, I am in Chillicothe, Ohio. Uh, Ricky Steamboat will be there, and I understand, I just found out yesterday, uh, Ricky Steamboat will be a re- special guest referee uh, of a match, a tag team match that I'll be having with... Uh, uh, a special little secret in my corner, you know, uh, the Steeler is going to be in my corner. Uh, Pitch, uh, you know, the Steeler will be there, and uh, going against Bobby Eaton or Bobby Eaton, Bobby Fulton, and uh, uh, Ricky Morton. And you know, I feel like I got a little bit of an advantage in this. You know, having the Steamer there as a special guest referee. Uh, but looking forward to that this weekend. And, Friday night, tomorrow night, I'm taking off. I'm going to spend some time with the boys and and uh, just relax and get ready to head over to Chillicothe on Saturday. Awesome. Yeah, well, best of luck, and I'm sure the steamer will keep you in line just in case uh, anything goes down. So you better be on your best franchise behavior out there in Ohio, which I know you will be. You'll mind your, your P's and Q's, or in your case, your 3's and your F's. So there you go. You'll uh, You'll be just fine. <laughs> I can't cut the fucking music. <laughs> uh, you can. You can definitely. You can do your thing. But, <laughs> but listen. I, I think I can talk steamer and let me do that. Yeah, you could do that. You could definitely do that. But listen, it was a great episode again. We're taking it home now, but we will be back in full force next week. And maybe uh, with a little review here from the old franchise. So let's see what we've got in store for us. Next week, Shane, hell of an episode. Thanks a lot. A lot of fun. JP, great job. And Shane, take us out in the only way the franchise can.
and big episode this week. Come back next week to hear my rundown. Right now, I'm dying to hear this this, uh, this WWE slash version of ECW take on ECW. So I'll have them serve my own little take on it. Who knows? I'm not going to like the thing and maybe put it over. <laughs> yeah, right. So, hey, come back here next week to hear my review. Do that or get your ass franchised. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.